Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Friends, welcome to another episode of Recovery, a podcast about leaving ministry, considering leaving ministry, staying in ministry, but knowing things need to change. I think that might be my smoothest entry, if I'm honest. I'm one of the co-hosts. That's wonderful. Thank you, Justin. I needed that affirmation today. Sarah Heath, and this is my incredible co-host and friend. Justin Gentry. Uh, I am also a recovering rev. We're we're recovering. Sometimes we're great at it. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we backslide back into the rev. Yeah. (laughs) We don't even know. I have been known to preach, at least to myself, on Mm, occasion. Yes. And we are so excited today. We are joined by Instagram friend of mine, Jenny Smith, who's I know as Jenny Smith, right? She is an author. She is a pastor. And we're really excited to have another female on the show. We That's one of our things that we're excited about the next couple of episodes. We've got some more female energy. I'm excited about it, Justin. How do you feel about it? I'm actually very excited myself. You you're know? in I mean, a house full of women. So you're like, this I, feels I, right. Um, you know? It, it feels right. We've, you know, duded the place up quite a bit. The the men have had their chance to speak and, and here we are. I'm to step aside. <laughs> I'm fine with this. So Jenny, tell us a little bit about yourself and then we're going to hop into asking you some questions kind of about what landed you in this space. So Jenny, what are you currently up to? However you want to answer that question, a little bit of background on you. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm so grateful for what you all are doing with this space. Uh, It's such a unique space. And so it's really delightful to, as I'm going through this journey, to know that it's here. Yeah, I'm living in Washington State, just north of Seattle. So close to me. I'm in bed right now. I don't live there. I'm just visiting. Keep going. Yes. And we just uh, bought our first home. We are now homeowners. And that was in December. And we got it just at the right time. Paid way too much, but we won't talk about that. And yeah, I have two kids. Isabella's a 10-year-old fourth grader and Wesley is seven and a first grader and married to Aaron, my husband. And yeah, life looks really different, but it's also good. So poor Jenny made the mistake of reaching out to us in DMs. Everyone, you should do this or don't do it. And was just sharing like, I would love to hear from more women and not in like a critique way. Just like, I would know I just as my journey. And I was like, great. Can you come on the show? So we strong armed Jenny into this, but Jenny, how long were you in ministry? What denomination were you in? What kind of ministry have you done before? If you're okay sharing all of that. Yeah. The United Methodist tradition has been my home. My dad's a United Methodist pastor. So like without choice. Wesley runs deep. Wesley runs deep. We all three of us have, let's have a moment for Wesley. All three of us. Oh, old John Wesley. Oh, John Wesley. 
he was you terrible know. with women, but he <laughs> tried. He, so you true, up, truly. All that great. Yeah, I grew up Methodist and we were in the West Ohio Conference. And so I grew up in Ohio State Buckeye and my dad. Oh, yeah. I'm in, I'm in Columbus. Oh, so. awesome. Awesome. My dad felt this huge call to serve in the Alaska Conference. And so he went up on a mission trip and convinced my mom. And we moved up there when I was like nine. So I spent like a ton of time in Alaska serving there. And so, yeah, I've just been an active ministry, went right from college to getting married to seminary to serving churches. So I think my we ordination- have never heard that story before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I've been nice. ordained now for like 10 or 12 years. So yeah. Great. And what was your most recent position that you served in? I was, I served as a co-pastor um, at Edmonds United Methodist Church here in just like 30 minutes down the road here in Washington. And what ended up kind of getting you into this space of like, I can't do this like I'm doing it. Because what many people may not know who are listening to this podcast, Methodism is not unique, but has some unique features where it feels like once you become part of the system, no one ever leaves. <laughs> and so when you leave, people are like, you can do that. It's like getting tenure at a college. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey kind of in and around that. Yeah. My first appointment as a lead pastor towards the end of it, I started to realize my call was shifting, but I remember never feeling like I could tell anyone. There was so much shame around it. There was shame, even like my dad and I had to have a lot of long conversations where I had to unpack, like, am I allowed to do something different? That's a whole thing. And once I realized that I could, then I was all set. There was this ministry thing I was going to do, this writing stuff. I was ready. I guess, God, I'm all in. And then the DS called and asked me to change churches and all of the, like, all of the, I got to say, yes, I got to do what everyone wants me to do. And then I said, yes. And then honestly, that was like February, 2020. And what happened in March of 2020? (laughs) Oh, wait. Oh, so you knew you were going to a new church. So you'd already like had that shift where you're like, I think I'm going to do ministry a little bit different. I'm going to tell my dad, who is a pastor, that this is not working for me. And then the DS calls, which that's the district superintendent friends. And when they call, like when their number comes up on your phone, it is the most frightening. I don't even know. Is there anything in springtime? Right. Is there anything to the equivalent of getting a phone call from a DS? Uh, Mm. Like maybe if you're like a football player and like your agent calls, I don't know. Well, I think in the corporate world, if you get a quick meeting invite from your boss on a Friday afternoon. Oh, shoot. Like, hey, can we meet real fast? That's that's like a yeah. boom, 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 yeah, yeah. Boom, they're gonna fire me. Right. But this um, one is they're gonna move me. It's like a weird army experience. Yeah. You're being promoted. Da, 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 da. So right. you did the no. Right. no, not really. You did the hard work of telling your dad, and then you decided to take this at the beginning of a global pandemic. And the weird thing that we haven't dove in an, enough, I don't think maybe, is like there are some traditions where you just can't tell people that you're leaving. So normally and Jenny, let me know if this is true for you, February to July, you're still at the church you were formerly at. Yeah. And our thing was, I was about to tell the church in person, like March 1st or March 8th. And then (laughs) that week we went online. So I had to tell the church I was leaving virtually. And then we just kept thinking, well, we're going to get back together. Like this COVID thing, right? It'll be six weeks tops. 
Yeah, that, no. those first six months were like, oh, any day now, well, it's going to be over. I was doing a weekly thing where I was like, oh, we'll let you know at the end of the week. And then it became like a monthly thing. But when people transitioned to the monthly thing, I was like, this feels like we're being alarmists. And then I was like, but I want it. We were so safe and so careful. So did you ever meet back together? We never did. Never. And it was like one of those appointments where it feels like a good fit. And my kids grew up there. It was, it was honestly like a terrible goodbye. Uh, It was so bad. And so I was so like, it's so weird. It's so lame in some ways, but I had all these things I wanted to say to them. And I literally wrote them a book and self-published it on Amazon because I had no way to like tell the people how much this time had meant. And so I was like grieving and writing and wrote them a book and then walked out the door, had one week off and then landed at another church down the road. And like, I was already burning out, right? My call was shifting and here I go into like a tough, good assignment. Yeah. I think the tough thing is too, and many people have experienced that, like maybe if I just go to a different church. So you have that weird moment where it's, and it, sometimes it lasts like six months and sometimes it lasts like two weeks where you're like, maybe it's just that I needed to try it in a different place. Did you have any of that? Or were you just like, I think honestly, so I'm an Enneagram one. Welcome. Everything, Welcome to the show. Everything is right. We're doing it. You're doing great. Everything is correct. We're so glad you're here. You logged in right on time. That makes sense. <laughs> like, I think that overriding desire to please authority figures that asked me to do something was so strong. And it was really beautiful. I was able to have a follow-up conversation with my DS where after all this, after me saying, I need to go on personal leave. I'm sorry. I got to go mid-year. It was really hard to leave this last church. I, you know, there was apologies. There was all this talk about it and processing. And I go, I'm just really sorry. I said yes. And I don't know that I actually felt called. So that's the hard thing too, because it's, and we've talked a little bit about this. What do you do when other people are saying, this is your calling? What do you do when other people are in charge of it? Particularly if you're in Enneagram one, or if you're friends, we know some of you are not in the Enneagram cult. We get it. But Enneagram <laughs> ones, just for a brief little no, no, no about it, are folks who usually are trying to do the right thing. Is yeah. that fair? Yeah. Is that a good read of it? And in, in, in the, when they're the healthiest, they're like the best. The best. <laughs> Absolute best. Oh, the best. <laughs> but it's hard when you're like, am I doing this because this is what I feel deep in my spirit, what I feel is most me, or am I doing this because it's the thing that makes people around me and then add generational. Like, honestly, we haven't talked about generational pastorship, which is a huge thing because it's layered, right? A lot of times it's like, if I have a faith shift, family stuff is layered. But like, if I come from like generations of pastors, making that switch is so hard. Yeah. Like you carry like the vocational, like weight of all the stuff. And it was really beautiful because through all these conversations and therapy and stuff with my dad, like it was really healing to be able to look at him and and name all that. And he received it with such grace and he like released, he didn't have to, I I was going to do it on my own, but he released it too. And just said, go do, do the thing you must do. And what love and grace. That was beautiful. That is amazing. When, so you had a mid-year switch. So do you mind giving us a little bit what it led up to. So we're in a global pandemic. You get a new church. You have to be like, Hey church, I'm your new leader who doesn't want to lead. <laughs> so can you give a little bit <laughs> of information about what that period was for those again, 
pulling you into the behind the Methodist curtain. Mid-year switches don't happen usually unless there's trauma. So you want to give us a little bit of a story about that. And by mid-year, we go to July to July. That's helpful. There's a lot of denominations that have like a kind of an on-ramp, off-ramp season. That's like, this is, you know, or even when you're hired, we expect that you'll be with us for at least this year, unless you're like non-denominational, there's usually some kind of structure there. Yeah. So I came in, they had had, they had some, some trauma, some crisis, then they had one year of interim. And then I came in after that. So then I was there 19 months and I burned out so hard twice in 19 months. First time they gave me a month off. I'd only been there for six months. You know how lame that felt to be like, I'm, I'm dead. I can't do this. And I just got here (laughs) and they were so gracious. They're like pandemic. We know, and gave me a month off out of those 19 months. I was there that church gathered in person, only five of those months. Wow. What is that? And I'm a millennial. So actually it was okay. Recording for a while. (laughs) We weren't even meeting on Sunday. It wasn't terrible to be at home in our PJs with the kids watching. Like it was okay, but also I was wrestling with, and I don't, it, I didn't ever want to tell people I was wrestling with my call because it just looked like I was tired from the pandemic. So that's an interesting thing too. We've talked to, so a lot of people, like even people in our discord have talked about leaving this mid pandemic, post pandemic, leaving in this season feels cliche. And I know that's a, I don't have a better word for it, but feels like people are like, oh, you're just doing the thing everyone's doing. And you're like, no, it feels bigger than that but there's no language for it. Yeah. And, and even coming out of it, like, I think the trauma, like of holding it all together. And then now, I mean, it's, I know it's, there is debate as to whether it's over, but it, it is, it is not, but uh, culturally it basically is, but like now it's like, okay, we can kind of stop holding our breath a little bit. And then it's, Oh, but like now that we're not holding it all together, what am I even holding together? And Jenny, as you're burning out, just because <laughs> I hate to do this to you, but sorry, again, you guys DM us. It's not that we'll pull you on and make you tell us all our secrets, but that is like, I, I, can I just stop for a second and say, Sarah, that is like the most pastor move <laughs> to just of like, anything. tell us about your trauma. Oh, oh, well, no, the like, the like, Hey, I have a suggestion. Oh, you're suggesting something. Sounds like a volunteer to me. I know. Sorry. Sorry, Danny. <laughs> I 100% voluntold you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is the worst moment. Everyone, I'm sorry. I confess. I was like, Jenny, we need more women. You're a woman. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> also, like, I kind of know your story because I've been following a little bit of the background. What is burnout? Because I think we all think we know what it is, but I don't think we talk about it enough about what it really is because. It isn't just I'm tired or I'm bored. And I think sometimes it accidentally gets categorized with I'm tired and I'm bored. Like it is a physical, like, can you talk about what that felt like? If you feel comfortable now, I feel terrible. If you feel comfortable sharing that. No, 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 no. So much of my work is like trying to create spaces where people can just be themselves. So this is delightful. It's fine. I, one of my coach people said for her, burnout was when we are trying to live from a place that is not our spiritual, most true selves. And so in ministry, it was doing the tips and the best practices and all the things that we knew to do, but it wasn't necessarily from this really generative, beautiful place. And I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia when I was 17. So I was carrying chronic pain through the thing too. And I'm an empath, just one of those 
just turned up super sensitive people. And so I was feeling everyone else's stuff. And for me, the burnout was just layer upon layer upon layer of like physical pain, but also just emotional pain and spiritual pain. Cause I wasn't necessarily living out the thing that made me come alive anymore. And the thing is I knew it. Here's the worst. I started that appointment July 1st. I have a date in my journal, like August 5th. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Shoot. <laughs> and I basically had one of those Liz Gilbert moments she talks about where she says to her 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 inner self, she's like, I'm gonna get you out of here. <laughs> like, I gotta get you out of here. And it was really powerful, but I held that just to myself for a long time until it felt like I could really talk about it. Do you think part of that is like until I felt like I could really talk about that? Do you think part of that is we and as ministry leaders, that sentence refers to so many things until I felt like I could, I just held it in until I felt like I could talk about it until I felt like I could process it in a public sphere until I felt like, like it, I just feel like there's so many people who are walking around with this, like, I don't know, but I, if, if everyone knows that I don't know how I feel about this thing, it could take this thing off track. Like I just, my heart, like literally I'm leaning forward as I hear you talk about this. I just imagine like you start during a pandemic this church has already gone through trauma because of having interim and then you show up and they're like, she's here. And then you're like, oh, great for four weeks. And then you're like, I need to be out. <laughs> like, I'm here. All right. And like, yet the work on the ground was so good. There was like such good stuff happening, even though we were online and it was just the grace of it all always astounds me that God still spirit still keeps using, even if, even if we're like, here's my tiny, tiny little bit today, like somehow it's always enough. So you just, kind of, you just kind of keep like going until for me, it was that October, November. And I realized how much of my work was just, my heart was not even able to maintain what I normally could. And so who, because you're new to this community, you just met the leaders, who do you share this with? Cause that's another question. A lot of people are like, I don't, I don't know who to trust in this. And I don't want to just, it, I don't want to just to be my spouse. So who did you trust in this when you knew you needed an exit route? I had a few colleagues and friends who I could trust that really helped mirror back what they were hearing. I had a, like a coach and a spiritual director who were really like, oh, this is larger than just this moment. We know you, like people that know me well enough to help me hear what I was like the patterns. And then it was my district superintendent and my, we have staff parish relations committee. We had some two, two co-chairs of that team. And I told them, and to their credit, they just opened their hands wide and said, here's a month off. We really care about you. And that was so quick. That's really great. Yeah. I feel like it's a good, <laughs> Jess and I always talk about like, we've got some trauma, like we've got some trauma stories lined up, which are terrible and whatever. But then people will even say like, I shouldn't want to leave because I don't have like a dramatic moment. But I also think it's okay to honor the space where you just go, I can't do this anymore. And it's not, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that exhaustion is real. Like, and, and that's, I mean, it's church ministry, but it's also, it's, it's honestly anything when it exhausts you, when it no longer gives you life, it, it, it takes. And, and there's going to be seasons of that for sure. Like, you know, ministries like that, there are just some seasons for me, it's like Thanksgiving to middle of January. <laughs> you know, it's going to, it's going to take, 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 take. But even in that taking, there is still something generative and good when, when it's working, but when it's not working, it's just like, 
I would notice on vacations, it was the worst because it's like, I finally get a chance away. And then all the stuff comes rushing in and I'm miserable on vacation for, you know, for whatever. I'm usually like vacation is like my happy place. And then it's like, no, I'm miserable all vacation long because <laughs> all this stuff I've been putting off is coming up. And then now, now I have to go back with these new revelations about how little I want to do this. But that's, that's a tough place to be. And, and I would encourage people for sure. Like if you just want to be done, that is reason enough, I think, because if you, if you operate from a point of exhaustion and fatigue, eventually you will have trauma but that that's not the goal yeah no i don't think so you came back not, from not a trust me it's not a goal no we don't want that no one wants that well capitalism wants that but no one in general wants that so you come back from a month of sabbatical which is not a lot did you feel like you could maintain in i remember talking to my kind of support people as i was in those last few days and i'm like okay i felt myself like mentally just like sucking it up and we're going to do this. And so I pushed my way to June when we opened the church in person. And within 30 minutes of getting home from worship that day, all of the discernment from that last fall came right back. Oh, and I was okay. like, oh, so you did the show shoot. and you're like, I don't want to do the show. Yeah. And I was like, shoot, I got that church opened. Yay. We were, you know, last summer, people kind of started to emerge again from the pandemic. And then I was like, dang it. So I took that whole summer, tons of discernment. And by September, my DS gave me a form that said, you know, stay, go or retire or whatever. And he, he forced the question. So I was like, okay, <laughs> it's time for me to go. Check yes or no. So that's a long time, June to September. What was that time? Like it was summer. And so summer in the Pacific Northwest, everyone's out playing because it's actually not raining for a hot second. We were just doing in-person worship and trying to make the best of it and trying to be faithful. But the whole time I was like behind the, behind the scenes, the wheels were spinning and we were trying to figure out what we were going to do. Guys, there's this moment when you have a form, which sounds ridiculous, like a paper form, like 1910 and you're like filling it out. And it is actually incredibly emotional. When I wrote, don't appoint me, it, I cried because I'd worked so hard to get there. What was that like when you finally got the paper, even though you knew your body told you, you knew what was that like? I remember sitting there with my finger hovering over whether to hit send on that form to my district superintendent. Cause I knew he was going to be so bummed to see that. And isn't that funny in this moment, what I just said? I was bummed that the, my authority figure was going to be bummed. Ooh, <laughs> like we've never been there. <laughs> no, not at all. I was like, I don't want to disappoint you, but I have to do this. And I think he called me like a day or two later and we had a great conversation and he was real supportive. That's much better than mine who didn't, my district superintendent read it, but my, there was like because I was a new ministry, technically mine was, he didn't read it until eventually I was like, Hey, are we going to tell the church that I'm leaving? And he was like, Oh, I thought that you were just going through a thing. Oh, ow. no. Yeah. I did not have the most supportive situation. Oh, I thought, no, I actually, sorry. That was a bad quote. It was, I thought you were just going through another one of your things. Oh, mm -hmm. oh. yeah. I was like, so can, can the two of you speak to that a little bit of the experience of 
you can elder say. minister men. Yeah, yeah. You, I knew you were going there. Yeah, and just explaining explaining away your 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 feelings. <laughs> it's so air funny. quotes. I said air quotes in the feelings, but no one can see that in podcast. That's a great question. Like, was your district superintendent male or female? Not that we need to define, but yeah, mine was male and and very pastoral. So I think in that moment he wanted to care for me. I knew enough about his job that I knew what this was also doing to his to-do list. And I felt, and I felt bad about that, but I also knew I had to honor my knowing, like, again, that year before when she said my inner self was like, I'll get you out of here. It was one of the first times I kind of decided my body makes all my decisions now. Oh, that's <laughs> such an important thing you just said. Yeah. And that's so good. I just, no matter what anyone else needed or wanted from me, no matter who I was going to disappoint, I was like, my body has told me what she needs and I must like I'm turning 40 this summer. I don't like, we have to listen to these things. <laughs> Can we just pause for a healthy one? <laughs> because that is yeah. like, wow. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. I, go, I think the idea that no matter who it disappoints, no matter what kind of chaos it creates, we're still aware of it. And I think sometimes we think we won't like, oh, I'll one day not think about other people's to-do lists. I'll one time, I, you know, if I could just get to the point where it's knowing that and yet knowing that the deeper truth is that thing that was in your body. It's that I'm going to get you out of here. I can't do this. And I think women, I think the thing that you were kind of asking a little bit, Justin, is I think I learned to stifle that voice. My knowing is my overreaction or like I wanted to fit into the like culture and community and I, you know, the whole thing. And I think sometimes a lot of the, the men that were sometimes a lot of the men, that was not a terrible sentence, but sometimes the, the leaders that I was, it around, made sense though, right. Sometimes a lot of the men that I were around was around, uh, made me feel a little bit like they were so glad to have me there. And so that actually became a, Oh, great. I need to like, please you in this. I need to be good at what I do because the constant comments about like, you're so good at what you do. And like, I'm, I'm a three. So I'm like, yes, that's my catnip. Just tell me I'm good at what I do. And I will literally not take any money and just try. And I think that men in particular, the, the conceal don't feel, I called it my frozen time. I never wanted people to know how I was actually feeling on the inside. So that's what it felt like to work with elder men. For me, it was like, I was always trying to be non-reactive. I don't know if that's a great way of putting it, but for me. And so I'm so glad to hear that you had a, I had a pastoral DS. He was great. And yet it's still like, I still, because of his role, the hard part for me was these people who become DSs, by the way, were originally like your, like your colleagues and all of a sudden they they become DSs. And so this is like a friend of mine. And so I think he was trying his best to support me, but the system didn't provide. I was grateful. I had one experience at the church I was at as lead pastor that I was battling through lots of anxiety and I would get a lot of panic attacks while I was preaching and which is just terrible. And I finally stopped one day during a sermon and told the church what was happening and had this such life-changing moment where they come up and they're praying for me and I'm crying and it's just like, blah, and so beautiful and so terrible at the same time. And so I had this moment of, I think we can just be ourselves in the midst of all of these professional boundaries and this and that, like, it's all very important power dynamics. It's all, le it's legit. And also there's room for our humanity 
And so I was building that muscle as I went and I realized I can actually just listen to myself and go, but I still battled all of the scripts and all of that still also. Like it did it. So the final moment you fill it out in September, when does your church know? And then what have you been doing since? Yeah. So church leadership found out like October, November, and they chose to tell the church in January. So I had to hold that for a bit. <laughs> so, mm. Guys, if you're having panic attacks during a sermon, the best thing to do is to have a secret. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that'll, that'll really. That's super helpful. make those go away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that was a hard season, but it, it worked out fine. We gave people got Christmas before they got the hard news. And then this part of the story just gets even crazier. I am done January 30th. And we say goodbye. I say, thank you. And I say, I'm so sorry. I got to go. I love you all. And they, they sent me on my way because I was expressing, you know, a call to, to write and to do some of this other work. And so it ended up being this really beautiful sending. And then I get done February 1st and I'm resting, I'm recovering, I'm figuring out what this is. And then out of nowhere, my youngest brother dies and just, <laughs> I was already so much grief. And then this grief and here I am, it's been three months as of this recording. So it's not the most stressful season. <laughs> no, mm-mm, mm-mm. no, I love, I love that. I don't love it. I just, I, I think about this idea of grief because we don't use that word often when we talk about leading something in a healthy way. So many people will hear your story, Jenny, and go, yeah, she like people sent her off. It was beautiful. It was lovely. And even before the death of your brother, there was still grief. And I don't, I think even now, like almost it'll be a year in July for me that I left a local church ministry and it was totally my choice. There is that sense of, there was grief that I don't know how to define. And I know Justin still talks about it now. Like there's a grief that you experience and then to experience an actual grief of loss of someone you love. It was a surprise. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Understanding like it's three months out, you're like in it. So don't even worry about if you have good words for it or. Yeah. I am someone who's always done like the anticipatory grief, right? I see the thing coming and I'm like, I'm going to feel all this as a minor way to control what's about to happen. But really, I'm just being a healthy person, like it's a whole thing. And so I have writings and poems and journal stuff of just like all the grief as I was discerning. Because I couldn't believe that for me, the spirit was calling me out of the church to love people in a new way. I couldn't, I couldn't in any of my 39 years understand that the Holy Spirit was like, go play over here. This is where I want you to play. And I'm like, but this is where you are. And I mean, I knew, right, everywhere, but it, that was so much grief processing. Like I have days where I just sat there and laid, listed all the churches, all the places that had shaped and formed me and like grieved that I was grateful for that. But now was it really okay to leave? And it was like- And you made it and your dad um, is okay with it. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you really- you bring up a really good point that for someone that is transitioning, making a big transition in life, especially in transitioning in ministry, you've been grieving so much on the front end mm. already because 
there is that like there is that grief of like that gut feeling and then maybe you push it down or and then it comes back up and then you're like why is this feeling you know and it's almost like yeah there's so much like pre-grief I think sometimes people will be like oh you're really stoic about this now it's like well I've been grieving this for a year two years whatever however long yeah and so like grief is it's there's a pre and there's a during and there's a post I almost compare it like to death so in death right like and then you're going through this death that was shocking. You're so surprised where grief comes from, even if you pre-grieve, right? So imagine a long illness, right? Like you still, you're like, oh, I just want this person to not suffer anymore. If that was, you know, a scenario, which wasn't your death scenario, but like, I just want this person not to suffer anymore. And I think that's the way it is with when you leave church community. I just want to not I want, I want them to feel good. I want me to feel good. And I've done the grief and I'm doing great. And then it feels so different when you're actually in it, when there's that loss and that who am I and identity and all that. And then I cannot imagine, especially the youngest sibling where you're, you know, as a, as a one, I can imagine you mothered. <laughs> I was the oldest uh, four and this was my youngest mm, brother. Yeah. So mm. you definitely know I had a moment of like, I screwed up and didn't save him. Mm. Oh yeah. And- it was a brain bleed. Like it was going to happen at some point, no control. I think what was bizarre is we got the call. I was traveling in California and we all rushed to Alaska to try to get there before we could. And, and I started writing and all this writing has been pouring out of me for three months to the point. I'm kind of embarrassed that I have words to offer anyone else and my family and myself during this worst moment ever. And then one of my friends one day goes, Jenny, You've had all this grief just sitting in under the surface that you couldn't really talk about yet. And now your brother dies and it's like a socially acceptable moment to grieve. Oh yeah. Wow. So maybe as pastors, as the call changes, are there really spaces where that's socially acceptable to talk about out loud? There's not a ton. It's, it's, I mean, Justin and I started this thing just thinking like our moms, would listen. well, not your mom, my mom, you know, like some people that we knew and we knew like there was folks out there and we had a hope that, but it is shocking the number of stories that you hear that are similar. Cause I think we don't think like, oh, this idea of so many people holding grief in, so many people holding their story, who they actually are in or whatever it might be. And it's fascinating that you said that this is socially acceptable, right? It's socially acceptable. So I, I knew I wasn't going to continue in ministry and I got COVID before vaccinations were a thing. And I was able to grieve and be sick at the same time mm-hmm. without other people knowing that I was like, it wasn't just COVID. It was that I was literally and emotionally and spiritually exhausted. And so my immune system was probably like, we're going to, we're going to just open up. We're just going, we're just going to be av- available to this. <laughs> we're, we're just going on strike until she lays down. Yeah. And I think <laughs> the idea of it took a socially acceptable grief for me to be able to talk about this grief. Oh, Jenny, that's huge. Yeah. And since then, just those words have continued and, and now, yeah, talking to people about writing and seeing what that looks like. and dipping my toe. I do this work around this idea of palms up and this contemplative stance that's been really life-changing and we're going to take it on the road and just do, you know, workshops and retreats and talk about it everywhere. And, and that's a huge, vulnerable, scary step for me, but that's been the call for like five years. The spirit's like, 
go dance and play with people. Like I have all these people that will never step foot in a church and this is stuff that's meaningful for them too. So, so yeah. As we like around the corner, talk a little bit about like this poems up idea. Cause I think it's so incredible. Yeah. So Dr. Elaine Heath, which some people will Great know. last name. She Her and I got in contact literally because everyone thought we were related. That is a true story. <laughs> She's phenomenal. When I just got out of seminary, I met her at a conference in Alaska. And you know that those days after seminary, you're like, I'm going to do it the right way. I have all my things. I have all my notes. Let's go love people, buy the textbook and do the thing. And she came in at right, just the right moment and gave me this contemplative stance, which was this beautiful way to be like, we also get to be human and God's doing a thing. And like, maybe humans, you're not like, this isn't all about you. And it's four steps. It's to show up, to pay attention, to cooperate with God and then release the outcome. And a couple of years later, I heard a thing from Bob Goff, author and speaker, right? And he was, he's a lawyer. And he said, Hey, when I'm in depositions, I invite my clients to put their hands up on their laps on their knees under the table, because when your hands are open, your body can't get defensive. And he's like, the posture of our hands reflects the posture of our, like the posture of our body reflects the posture of our heart. And so we, this was like a one-off sermon 10 years ago. I didn't ago. know where I got that. I don't think I got it from Bob. That That's how I used to do Benedict. I still, whenever I do, whenever I speak at events, that's how I always close is let's open our hands to what's next. Love there that. Go. There you go. Yeah, and so, great. yeah, it was like a one-off sermon and it just was one of those things. Sometimes you offer people and it just keeps coming back and you're like, what the heck? I guess we should keep talking about this. And so it's been a decade and it's just become a core part of how I live and work. And, and it's been helpful to other people. For the record, it's palms up, not poems up. Yes. Palms. Yes. Hands. Palms up. Palms up. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for telling a little bit of your story. What would you suggest for folks who are hearing what you were hearing? Like, is there some sort of encouragement? Is there some sort of practice? Is there anything like knowing that people are going to hear you a particular, you know, I'll say it particularly women who are used to saying, yep, let's do this. Is there any sort of advice you could, as we close out share? Yeah, I think, especially to the women and to everyone that I think as some of our institutions continue to shift and honestly continue to die in the forms that they're in because like spirit's doing a new thing. It's so obvious. I think a lot of us just get to make the choices with the gifts I have and the time I have with this life. Do I want to serve in these beautiful people inside of institutions that are kind of crumbling? And for a lot of us, that is the call. That is so the call. And if that is you, I have so many colleagues do it, take care of yourself, but like you're in the thing, you're in the thing you're supposed to be in. There's also some of us who spirits over here doing a whole other thing over here. And it really is truly okay to start talking about that to the people you trust. Doesn't make you weak. It has nothing to do with a pandemic. I mean, <laughs> I honestly think the Holy Spirit needs us in all those places right now. Oh, Jenny, thank you so much for sharing so your story. Are there places where folks can find you, your writing, places you'd be comfortable with people engaging with your work? Yeah, jennysmithwrites.com and over on Instagram and Facebook, same one. Yeah, glad to chat with anyone, anytime. Jenny, thank you so much for being you, for being who you are in the world. Thank you for being honest about what it's like to live with chronic pain, what it's like to actually grieve. And thank you so much for DMing me and saying, where the... 
where my, where my ladies at? Because the truth is, is <laughs> we are hoping to be just a representation of so many different things. And so I really, really appreciate that. So thank you friends for uh, joining us for another episode. Anything you want to say, Justin, before we close out? No, this is very good. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jenny, for your honesty and vulnerability and, and for, for listening to your body and that inner voice. That's really good. Good example for everybody. <laughs> That's great. great. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to another episode of RevCovery. We really appreciate all of our listeners and a big thank you to those of you who have joined our Patreon community on Discord. If you're interested in either supporting the show or becoming part of our Discord, uh, the way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash revcovery. If you're interested in supporting folks who are going through vocational transition who need a coach, I'm able to do that through an organization called Soul Leader. So if you're interested in donating to that, you can go to Soul Leader, which is spelled S-O-U-L-E-A-D-E-R.org. And you can go to the give section and just give under my name and that will go directly to coaching folks who don't have the financial means to do so as they make the transition in vocation. I am so grateful that Jenny shared her story with us, a story of grief, a story of allowing herself to kind of unbecome. It made me think a little bit of a poem by a dear friend, Morgan Harper Nichols. I have shared her work before. For the highs and lows and moments between, mountains and valleys and rivers and streams. For where you are now and where you will go, for I've always known and I told you so. For nothing is happening and all has gone wrong. It is here in this journey that you will learn to be strong. You will get where you're going and land where you belong. We will see you next week in the Rev Recovery Room.